AM 1600 KIVA, BQ.FM, I'm Eddie Yerga on The Rock of Talk. Glad to be here with you for another edition of Straight Talk with Mr. Jeffrey Candelaria. Interviews that you'll find only here and exclusively on the Kiva as Jeff identifies and interviews the movers and shakers and people you need to know here in the community. Jeff, take it away. Thank you, sir. Again, thank you, Eddie Aragon, for providing this platform. Don't forget, if you're not a Rock of Talk app subscriber, uh, download the Rock of Talk app on your smartphone and listen to Straight Talk every Saturday from 1 to 2 p.m., 1600 a.m., the Kiva, the Rock of Talk, and listen to programming throughout the, the week. I uh, rise to uh, Glenn Beck, and I retire to... Uh, George, uh, the, the gentleman that's on uh, in the evening on The Rock of Talk. Today we're going to dissect this thing called infrastructure. Uh, the, we have heard over the last six months, almost at nauseum, these two incarnations of infrastructure, Infrastructure One, and then the social infrastructure, what I call social infrastructure, Build Back, back Better uh, piece, which is still uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the midst of being uh, reviewed through our uh, congressional and uh, legislative branch, if you will. Remember, Congress is the only branch of government can actually spend money. Senate will have to ultimately approve or amend their version of infrastructure. But the point is, we have been hearing all, uh, you know, all these last few months long, all about this infrastructure bill, and it's a little complicated. And maybe it's by design that it is such. And my guest is Edwin Fernandez. He's actually my CPA and a PFS financial advisor and co-owner of Legacy Financial Group. But whenever I have a question, not just about conventional, you know, should I invest in this stock? What should I do about my Social Security? Those kinds of issues, which we all have. I ask holistic questions of Eddie, like sociological economic trends. And I'd also like to welcome Eddie as a new sponsor before uh, he actually uh, takes to the air, I do want to make a couple of announcements with our friends at Fundaxi. Uh, every week we talk a little bit about some of the successes of Fundaxi, where we actually, through Fundaxi, raise funds for local organizations. And again, recently through Fundaxi, we actually raised, uh, and through Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria, over $1,500 for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. If you'd like to learn more about fundraising with Fundaxi, so if you're a nonprofit or if you're a, a mother who wants to you know, raise funds for her football team, any of that, uh, get a hold of me at jeffrey.candy77 at gmail.com, and I can get you more information about Fundaxi. It's a local apparatus to raise funds for the local community. So with that, I'd like to uh, reintroduce Edwin Fernandez, my CPA, also PFS. So Eddie, what's a PFS again? Personal Financial Specialist. It's a special designation that's only awarded to CPAs who practice personal financial planning for individuals and businesses. Excellent. So it's a particular designation beyond your typical financial planner, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's you can liken it to... Um, you know, other other designations or other licenses, uh, you've heard of CFPs, right? The Certified Financial Planners. It's almost on the same realm of uh, CFPs, but only certified public accountants can get a PFS designation. 
anybody out on the street can get a earn the CFP designation, but only CPAs can get the PFS designation. And of course, Gomer Pyle was a PFC. <laughs> Just kidding. Straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. So we're going to dissect Infrastructure 1, which already did pass, and Infrastructure 2, which is a really convoluted uh, you know, series of, of, of not only expenditure items to the, to the extent we're talking about trillions and billions of dollars, but there's also a lot of social engineering there. So let's start with what did pass and what did pass ultimately, uh, the original price tag on that was 3.5 trillion. And just to remind our listeners, again, I'm not being condescending, but a trillion dollars is a thousand billion dollars. Okay. And a billion dollars is a thousand million dollars. So that's the, the gravitas of this kind of expenditure. So originally the infrastructure bill that did pass Eddie was to the tune of 3.5 trillion. Ultimately, uh, how was it realized in terms of expenditure? So what, you know, it, it actually came down, right? So what actually got passed is $1.75 trillion and it's covering a number of different types of spending projects from, um, and this is when, when we think of the infrastructure bill as a whole, right? We think of roads, bridges, um, those types of things, but there's all these little nuances that come into every single bill and we'll address these, but it's going to start talking about cryptocurrencies, employee retention, credit terminations, um, you know, uh, super fund excise taxes, pension smoothing, exempt facility bonds, water or sewage disposal, extending the highway-related excise tax, and modifying auto tax extension deadlines for disaster areas. So uh, there's a lot that's involved inside this. And, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about each one of these. You know, the, the roads and bridges, right? Originally, this was scheduled to be about $115 billion. It got scaled down to about $110. Um, passenger freight rail um, uh, improvements, that originally started at $80 billion, went down to $66 billion. Broadband, right? So if we think of broadband, that's how we get across the waves. In New Mexico, we're a very rural area, and there's a lot of places you can go to. There's no service, Well, period. last I checked, 35% of New Mexico does not have access to the Internet. That's correct. Think about that. 35%. We're one of the most uh, non-broadband-oriented states in the country. Of course, we're always last and everything. But to your point, 35% of New Mexicans don't have broadband. Yeah, so this, this is some of the things that they're looking at, at spending or not looking at spending. What got passed? Um, but from where it started originally, and one of the biggest ones, uh, the reductions, was the drinking and water wastewater, right? It started at $111 billion. It's now It's basically cut in half. What does that mean? Let's just uh, take that aspect of this whole gargantuan, colossal thing called infrastructure, which did pass. Let's just talk about what you just discussed, drinking water and all of that. What, what does that mean to the average person? So think about... How does it, how do we get water, right? How does, how do we get water in this glass, right? There's a lot of things that actually have to take place, right? We're pulling it from the aquifers. We're pulling it for, here in New Mexico. We're, almost all of our water gets pulled from the aquifers. Well, there has to be a purification process in order for it to get there. Water and then, treatment plants. Water treatment plants, yeah. right? How do we get um, our water, the, the pipes? If we think about 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago, when plumbing still came in, Right, we just figured a way. How do we get everything out? Right, how do we pump 
um, our waters, whether it be sewage, whether it be drinking, whether it be transporting water any almost any different way, a lot of that was done through a lot of lead pipes. And so part of this infrastructure package is going to replace those lead pipes with more uh, environmentally friendly and ways that may end up potentially even lasting longer. Yeah, so we can equate lead with asbestos and roofing having a harmful, you know, deleterious effect on the average person. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So in, in thinking about the infrastructure that did pass, and no one's going to be against ameliorating our roads and, you know, bridges and all that. I get all that. But last I checked, we have 330 million people in this country, 50 states plus the District of Columbia. How do we, or how does the government prioritize what streets and roads and bridges get, you know, ameliorated or improved? Is that something that is openly discussed or do they, do, does the federal government have a, a prioritization sort of a matrix for that? You know, that's, that's a great question, Jeff. And what usually happens is money gets allocated out to the respective states. So all the money gets allocated to the states and then the states are the ones that are going to end up appropriating. Interesting. It. Yeah. So uh, when we talk about almost everything is going to be done through what we call federal pass-through dollars. So the federal government, Congress passes the bill, the president signs it, and then it goes to the treasury for allocation out. And the allocation gets distributed out to the states. In most of the cases, there's some federal oversight, but the state is responsible for most of the spending. Interesting. My guest is Eddie Fernandez, CPA, uh, PFS, co-owner, Legacy Financial. I call him a social economist. And again, thank you. He's going to be a new sponsor of Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. And we're dissecting Infrastructure One, which passed. And we're also going to be talking about Build Build Back Better, which is really a, a social, almost a social welfare infrastructure plan more than it is, you know, ameliorating or improving architecture, buildings, you know, in, improving water treatment plants and all of that. So when New Mexico gets its allocation of money designated for, let's say, uh, highways and bridges, the governor, does she have discretion to almost uh, earmark money to do what she wants with that money? Or does it have to go through some kind of a, I think you said pass through legislation so that we are using it to improve roads and bridges and that kind of thing? Yeah. So the governor does not have, say, hey, we got you know, $100 million of, uh, for roads, and I can't just unilaterally say I'm going to transfer this money to our general fund. No, it has to be, has, the spending has to fall in line with what was created as part of the bill package as yeah. well. So the bill package, I mean, we're talking 2,500 pages of text yeah. that was included with this infrastructure package, right? And it's almost the same amount of numbers in the, in the Build Back Better uh, legislation that got passed by the House, but is still in the Senate. So it's a lot of language for a lot of different components of these mammoth bills. Yeah, that's why a lot of these 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 people that uh, that really ultimately affect our lives, whether it's Pelosi, Schumer, or any of those guys, McConnell, they could sneak in something that is a pet project for maybe their constituency or in their best interest, because all politicians always do what's in their self-interest. And yet that particular item is something we're all going to have to live with. Like later on in the show, we're going to talk about hiring an additional 10,000 IRS agents to actually audit everybody's accounts so that they can, that, that they is the federal government to pay for this stuff. Yeah. Well, last I checked, no, we don't want to be, you know, hyper, hyper audited. 
but that's a piece of this infrastructure and in infrastructure too that a lot of people don't think about. It is, which which kind of leads me to the to the next point, right? So, when we think about what takes place from the standpoint of revenue raising, right? So a bill gets passed, and then the question becomes, well, how do we pay for this, right? How do we pay for all of these things? So one of the things that the the things that kind of struck me is as part of the infrastructure bill, what does cryptocurrency have to do with this infrastructure bill? Well. Right now, cryptocurrency, and, and if we think of digital currency, and, and we, we can have our own whole discussion on just what is digital currency, cryptocurrency, all of that. Think of Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, and there's so many others, right? That's not what this discussion is. But right now, there's no actual reporting requirement for when you're trading on your Bitcoin activity. Currently, the IRS says that if you're trading in digital currency, you should be reporting your gains and losses just like what takes place. But the the holders of the cryptocurrency, say, let's take Bitcoin because everybody knows the, the, the term Bitcoin. Right now, it's going to impose uh, that Bitcoin is now going to have to start reporting to the IRS transactions that take place inside um, accounts. And, and you were talking a little bit earlier, Jeff, about one of the provisions or one of the knocks against the Build Back Better proposal is anytime there's a transaction greater than $600, that had to have been reported to the IRS. Could you imagine the reporting requirements for any financial institution of what they would have to implement? Yeah. It's massive, yeah. right? What they stuck in this infrastructure bill is they said starting January 21st, 2023, so we got one year kind of time frame to get our ducks in a row or these entities have to get uh, their ducks in a row for one year. Anytime there's activity greater than $10,000, that has to now be reported to the IRS. So guess what that's going to mean is now you're having this activity and now there's like a tape match discrepancy. So there's all these different tape match discrepancy programs that are taking place. Think of gross receipts. Uh, what the state of New Mexico will do right now is if there is a Schedule C or a partnership, uh, a 1065 tax return or an 1120S, all of that activity from that federal ID number, the state of New Mexico gets a download of Schedule C, 1065, 1120S, 1120. And they say, under this federal ID number, did we get tax reporting, gross receipts tax reporting? And if it wasn't reported, they sent out this notice, hey, we think you didn't report gross receipts, so we think you may potentially owe us X dollar amount. Yeah, That's going to be the similar thing that may happen with this cryptocurrency reporting. Yeah, so again, folks, straight talk with Jeffrey Candler. My guest is Eddie Fernandez, CPA and co-owner of Legacy Financial. And I, I consider him to be a social economist, understanding how economic legislation, all of that actually affects society. So all of you that keep continue to vote, and I don't mean to be critical of just Democrats because the Republicans are part of this conspiracy too. These bills, like this infrastructure bill, oh, you know, Biden talks about, oh, we're going to improve your, your water and your bridges and whatever. That is true. But you're also going to be, as am I, we're going to be hyper-scrutinized by the IRS, by state, by federal government in terms of any financial transaction you're engaged in. So guess what, folks? You and me are going to be hyper uh, audited over the next generation.
because we voted for these clowns called Democrats and Republicans who are hyper intrusively invading every aspect of our lives. Remember that an additional 10,000 IRS agents are going to be hired to hyper scrutinize every transaction you engage in. And you're not immune just because you're retired or just because you don't work for a federal or state agency. You know, a lot of that may be, it's, it's going to be, it's a wait and see kind of thing. Right now, most people generally, the, 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 the potential for getting audited might be about 1%, right? Um, some people currently, deb- currently, under, under current conditions, under current conditions, right? How is that going to extrapolate in the future? We do know that there's probably going to be tape match discrepancies. There might be notifications of, hey, we may want to look at a couple of things, but overall, you're looking effectively at 1% currently. What's going to, what it's going to translate in the future, it's probably going to be higher. Of course it's going to be higher. Yeah. Because discrepancies currently go under the radar screen now, some by intent, some through you know, just an inadvertent series of you know, circumstances. But now the government is actually looking for discrepancies. Why? Because these clowns have to pay for this thing called infrastructure. That's why when Pelosi, with her ten thousand uh, dollar necklace, living in a mansion and pretends to be like uh, part of the blue collar working, uh, you know, population, when she says it's not going to cost anything, first of all, it's insulting for her to say that out loud. But the way it's not going to cost anything is through these kinds of little mechanisms that that create wealth that weren't there before hyper intrusiveness into everybody's accounting. What will you call it um, creating wealth? I would actually say it a little bit differently. I would say it's revenue raisers, right? So this is uh, revenue that's being raised for the federal government. Um, And uh, and, and as we build government bigger, there's no turning back. Absolutely. That's why who you vote for, whoever you is out there listening to straight talk with Jeffrey Candler, Study these people, man. Study their policies. I don't care if they're Democrats or Republicans. They're, they're all evil as far as I'm concerned. But at least the Republicans used to believe in less intrusiveness in terms of big government. But they're, they're part of this, uh, this conspiracy as well. At any rate, um, I want to go back to what we talked about with roads and bridges just quickly because everybody can wrap their minds around that. Are these just federal uh, roads? Are they municipal? I mean, how does that generally work? So right now, as part of the bill, right, they they uh, the government has allocated out of the one point seven five trillion dollars, five hundred and fifty billion dollars that's going to impact transportation, broadband, and utilities. Right, that's the big thing of of what they're what what they are looking at. Of that amount, $110 billion is going to end up improving roads, bridges, and other projects, right? $66 billion is going for freight, uh, passenger rail. Think of Amtrak, right? We need to help improve our, our, uh, our rail system. Otherwise, how are we going to get our goods, right? So when we think of the, the overall... Um, aspect of infrastructure spending, a lot of it is probably good and we really need it. Sure. As a matter of fact, I think even President Trump was saying, hey, we need to allocate money. It's just, it, it wasn't able to get done. Con- yeah. Congress wasn't really will- willing to work with him. Uh, um, $39 billion is going for public transportation, right? If we're getting away from fossil fuels, 
then they have to end up doing something to help allocate out more for public type of transportation. And then $65 billion into broadband, which is, I mean, th- these are big numbers, right? I mean, yeah. these are massive type numbers in terms of what we, what we think. Yeah, they are big numbers, but, you know, you take a number like broadband, that does sound like a lot of money. And it is, it, you know, depending on everything is relative, according to Einstein and my philosopher, uh, Immanuel Kant. And any rate, different topic, straight talk with Jeffrey Gandler. $65 billion for broadband across the country really gets diluted pretty quickly, though, too. I mean, again, Absolutely. I'm not, I, I don't want to contradict myself. These are important uh, aspects of infrastructure one and, and, and absolutely needed and necessary. But when you think about $65 billion, maybe New Mexico is going to get $4 billion of that. Let's say four. I don't think it's going to even be that high. How much is, will that really affect real change to attenuate and address that 35% absent of broadband number in New Mexico? I guess if it's even 5 to 10%, that's good. But I'm just saying, even though it's a lot of money, when you start parsing it out and extrapolating it across the entire country. Yeah, and, you know. and the bill was really targeting to make sure that it's highlighting what they call disadvantaged areas, right? right? So areas that currently don't have a lot of broadband. So who knows? New Mexico may potentially be, just geographically in the way our state is spread out, we may be able to benefit quite a bit from increased broadband, right? And if we have additional technology, we've got additional broadband, maybe that will help expand our economy into the future. Well, plus the way these political animals work, whether it's Biden, Trump, any of these clowns, they can say, oh, elect me because I spend money on transportation and broadband utilities. And the average person listening isn't going to have this conversation and really, you know, granularly dissect and scrutinize how it affected their particular state, their particular municipality. So, you know, it's part politics as well, as it always is. Yeah, it always is. And anything in, in Congress is, is always politics or politically related. Straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria, Edwin Fernandez, CPA, PFS is my guest and also uh, a soon-to-be new sponsor of Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. I call him a social economist. Um, getting back to the uh, other aspects of this bill, uh, digital currency reporting I, I think you mentioned it, but I again, I think it's important that people understand a little bit more about what digital currency is. Just you know, before we move on, uh, Bitcoin falls into that genre. Bitcoin, Other, uh, Ethereum, um, uh, Dogecoin, all of those things, right? And so, what it is, right? So it's 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 supposed to be treated effectively as another form of currency. So when we think of currency, it's what you're using as a medium of exchange to purchase something, right? And what is controversial a little bit about digital currency is it's not really backed by anything, right? So the U.S. dollar, if you look at your dollar bill or $100, but whatever, whatever currency you're looking at, it says that it's a promise to pay by the U.S. government. Yeah. You know, almost they're an, backing it it's up. It's almost an insurer. Yeah. It is. It used to be gold. It's government. That's correct. Yeah. And so now it's actually all currency is really backed by every single government, right? So there's that insurance that as long as the country is stable and they're doing okay, your currency yeah. has a relatively stable value. Yeah. 
in digital currency, you don't really have that, right? Because yeah. there's nothing backing it. There's nothing at all backing it. Yeah. And they say there's all these different measures, but this is why you're seeing a lot of fluctuation. Yeah. Uh, the government is probably seeing, and it may be in the future, that digital currency is, is accepted more. But think about it today, and this is what kind of blows my mind. I'm not sure how, like, let's pick on Tesla for a second. Tesla says they're going to accept digital currency. Well, if if a Bitcoin is, say, 40000 trading at $40,000, right? But if something happens in the next 15 minutes and the the price of, 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 of Bitcoin goes down from 40 down to 35 well, me as a shareholder, I just took a $5,000 loss. Yes, devalued. Just by yeah. something arbitrary, yeah. right? And so I, I, until it gets stabilized and there's something backing where it becomes more tangible... And maybe this is part of it where the reporting side of digital currency to see what is really taking place and it's not being treated as kind of like a, a stock that's very speculative. So this might be the catalyst to um, uh, from the reporting side where I, I really think that once the reporting requirements goes in, I think digital currency is probably going to take a little bit of a hit, Yeah. right? Um, so, so why do these financiers across the globe mo- are motivated? Why are they motivated to replace or integrate digital into the traditional monetary, like marks and yen and so you know, the, you know dollar bill kind of currency kind of? Uh, I mean, we we like, could go on a, this whole tangent, Jeff, for a long time. But my belief, in a nutshell, is a lot of individuals are really sick and tired of the big banks running kind of everything yeah okay so that's, that's fair in enough. a nutshell and that's fair enough uh, i mean yes uh, they there there's also the arrogance of big banks and all of that kind of the elitism that's associated with it yeah. my guest is eddie fernandez cpa pfs co-owner legacy financial actually my accountant my wife's accountant i call him a social economist he's going to be on the show pretty frequently to dissect things that we live with every day like infrastructure one hopefully not so much build back better, but we'll talk about that also. What about this also, this other aspect of what's going on with infrastructure one employee retention credit termination. Why do people care about that? What is that? So the employee retention credit was something that actually came out as part of the cares act that was actually imposed to help keep it, it, it. What it did is it provided individuals or small business, actually business owners. If you still paid your staff, um, you could actually apply for a credit against the employment taxes. And when we think of employment taxes, think of Social Security and Medicare. But what they also did is they said, hey, because you have, um, you're still having to pay your staff for not working, um, you get not only the FICA tax portion, but you can also take as a credit the federal withholding that has to be remitted. So think of the dollars that you pay in taxes, right? Now that's been provided as a credit. The, um, the act that came out at the beginning of this year, it extended it through the end of 2021. Well, now this infrastructure said, hey, we no longer need that portion of the bill. So now we're going to go ahead and eliminate it as of September 30th. 
And what are the implications for the average person listening to Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria? So it means that businesses can no longer provide the tax credit, which means that they may no longer pay for individuals to stay home. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That, that, so again, another very practical ultimate outcome or consequence, whether intended or, inintend, or unintended, that will affect certain segments of our population, including workers and business owners. It's called the Employee Retention Credit Termination. That's why it is so important that we, the people, understand who we're electing and what policies they espouse and ultimately pass, because it does have implications to all of us. Absolutely. And one last thing on the employee retention tax credit, Jeff, is um, employers, right? They're struggling. They don't have as much revenue coming in uh, because of the, how they're impacted. They were not assessed penalties for filing or paying their taxes late. Well, now this provision of the infrastructure bill takes that away. So if you're a small business owner and you're saying, hey, I, I don't have to pay any penalties for paying the taxes late. Well, now you do. Yeah. And now the penalties are reimposed. And remember, 30 to 40% of businesses were deemed non-essential and as such suffered tremendously in terms of wealth generation, uh, you know, their ability to pay their own mortgages, their own, you know, obligations. That's why this whole thing about forgiving landlords and all that kind of thing. I mean, those landlords still have bills to pay and they're the ones that took the risk to build, you know, those apartment complexes. I'm not defending all landlords. The word landlord in and of itself has a net negative connotation. But, you know, at the same time, those people have a right, you know, to earn a living as well. And, and that's why when people espouse policies, question the policy and don't just accept it as a talking point. You know, yeah. all landlords are bad. I'm here for the poor people who live in apartments and can't afford, you know, a sandwich for their kids. Well, guess what? The landlord has sandwiches for kids, too, you know, and their obligations. Well, and, and, you know, as part of the old bill, right, um, you couldn't evict individuals if they weren't paying. And some individuals knowing, hey, I don't have to pay rent and I'm also not going to be evicted, um, it placed the landlords in, in, a, in a tougher spot. Well, so Congress realized that and they said, we're going to actually provide housing assistance for individuals. And they were actually able to give money, but the individual who's renting actually had to go out and apply for it. The landowner couldn't do it. Yeah. So... So once again, penalizing people that actually take the risk of owning a business. Last I checked, being a landlord is owning a business. And, and our government, in its current conditional form, tends not to be pro-business because it's, it's positioned as, oh, these people are just profiteering all the time. My guest is Eddie Fernandez, CPA, PFS, uh, co-owner of Legacy Financial and a soon-to-be sponsor of Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. I call him a social economist. Jeffrey Candelaria, if you'd like to uh, reach me, uh, get a hold of me at jeffrey.candy77 at gmail.com. Uh, let's get into exempt facility bonds, uh, if, if you will, as well. Yeah, so the, uh, as part of this package, there was um, uh, a moratorium on some of the chemical taxes. So think of chemicals, right? And chemicals on itself kind of go or has kind of a, a, a bad kind of connotation, right? All chemicals are bad. Well, when we break things down, chemicals are good and we use them every single day. So now as part of the new infrastructure package, they're called this, they're extending super, certain super fund excise tax, right? So excise tax is just an additional tax that's placed on either the production 
or manufacturing or importing of certain chemicals. And the tax rate between if you're, how, and, and think of it in tons, right? How heavy or how much is actually being produced is going to be 44 cents per ton for potassium hydroxide to $9.74 per ton for benzene, butane, and other common chemicals found in fuels that are used in industrial products. So these are additional taxes that we don't really see, but we're going to end up seeing them down the road as we start paying more well, here's for... A, here's an example what you're talking about. So people that drink bottled water all day long, that's, that's a chemical composition, that plastic. So now your government, who you voted for, is going to tax those industry plants that manufacture water bottle, uh, water plastic bottles. So guess what? Your water bottle, water uh, bottle of water is going to cost you 10 cents more per bottle of water because of this tax. And again, because people tend to see chemicals as bad things. Last I checked, Homo sapien is made up of carbon, sulfur, phosphorus, magnesium, oxygen. So we're made up of chemicals. But again, to your point, government has to raise revenue. So they're going to, you know, call on these chemical plants to, to pay more tax. But but ultimately, you, the end user, we'll pay are going to pay more. That's correct. So when Nancy freaking Pelosi says it's not going to cost anything, each of us, through inflation and through these kinds of taxes, are going to pay more for goods and services. So when people say, oh, those chemical plants are all horrible anyway, at the end of the day, everything that we have in front of us is made up of uh, atomic uh, particles, which last I check are made up of chemicals, which we pay for. Yeah. Uh, and another... Right, Eddie? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, so... Anyway, it's just, it's so frustrating when these politicians <laughs> so throw talking points at us. It's not just increasing the tax, but there's also, a, I found this one really interesting, right? So some of the chemical comp, um, constitution, it, it used to be based off of a very small percentage, right? So if a chemical composition is, say, 50% of one thing, well, then you start paying the tax. Well, now this new legislation is saying, uh-uh. Now it's 20%. So if the chemical composition exceeds 20%, now these taxes come into play. So it's not just increased rates, but it's going to... So ultimately, just to remind everybody the obvious, the infrastructure bill that already passed, and hopefully the one that doesn't pass, it means more taxes. It means more taxes for either you, the customer, using an ultimate uh, product and or service, or these uh, industries that manufacture chemicals, plastics, whatever it might be, the gas industry, the fossil industry, any of that, they pay more tax to generate the, the revenue needed to pay for all this stuff. But ultimately, it's passed on to you, the consumer. Make no mistake about it. And a great example of the obvious fact is you're paying more for a gallon of gas. Everybody hated Trump, but a year and a half ago, it was $1.75 less a gallon. There's a great example of that. Great example of how each of us will pay more. You call it inflation, call it taxation, whatever you want to pay for all this stuff called infrastructure. Yes. So, and, and you know, we haven't even talked about uh, the just the policy by itself is also raising additional revenue for the federal government without having to raise taxes. Because if you're if you're restricting the supply, well, guess what happens? Costs increase. And so there was this week. Um, some questions as or, or recommendations to the administration to maybe we freeze 
the uh, the gas tax for a period of time, but it got no response. Yeah. You know, uh, so in other words, no, we're not going to do that. And then Biden the other day, what a week and a half ago, when he was awake, because the guy is sleeping half the time. Poor guy. He's a, in my opinion, he's just a, a really sad example of a person who's been in a political realm for fifty five years and is absolutely the very the very paragon of all the things, particularly the Democrats said they didn't want an old white guy with a lot of money who's an elitist, who's arrogant to be your next president. And that's exactly what we got. Anyway, when he was awake two weeks ago, he said, oh, I'm going to release 50 million uh, barrels of our reserve gas repository. But ultimately, when you extrapolate that into the real world, that's only like less than a week of actual usage of gasoline uh, based on barrel usage in the United States. So again, he's lying to you by saying, I'm releasing more to, to give the illusion that gas prices are going to come down. And maybe the psychology of the market responded to that for a couple of days. But the real number of, of, of how it actually integrated into the real world is, it only uh, allowed for maybe an extra two to four days of actual consumption of gas. Absolutely. And, you know, it's um, and nobody questioned on that because he doesn't take questions. You notice how Biden uh, does not take questions when he does his little talking points <laughs> and he reads his little scripts. Anyway, we'll move on. But again, on straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria, all I do is try to challenge your audience to question policies, whether they're Republican, Democrat, whatever, because they're not always as they appear. Absolutely, like uh, uh, Plato's allegory of the cave in the Republic written 300 bc got about 20 minutes so we got to move on expeditiously thank you for producing the show eric uh pension smoothing pension smoothing (laughs) (laughs) sounds like a retirement home (laughs) pension smoothing yeah you know that would really caught my attention too when i was looking at the bill uh what pension smoothing is is basically okay think think of it this way right when if if you're still uh able to work for an entity that still has a pension and the majority of pensions right now, there's still a couple of corporations that still have them. Big, large corporations will still have pensions like IBM or something like that. IBM, maybe even PNM might still have one, right? Most of the, those deductions for are the contribution. So it's an employee contribution and then it's also an employer contribution. And what a pension in a nutshell is if I work for a company for X number of years and I put in X number of years of service, I can expect to receive a guaranteed income for the rest of my life. Well, the employer contributions are tax deductible, right? And so what this pension smoothing says is, hey, we're going to reduce your ability or your requirement to make larger contributions now, which are tax deductible, right? And then we're going to postpone them. We're going to allow you to take them in the future. So... What that does is there's less of a tax deduction for the business today, but in the future, they might be able to get a higher actual deduction. Well, this causes two things. Now, if we're underfunding the pensions and the pension funds, uh, the calculation for it is based off of the interest rates. So if we're in a rising interest rate environment, then it could end up having a negative impact on the viability of that actual pension. So there's a lot of concern on this pension smoothing, which allows companies to make a smaller contribution today, um, 
the government gets more money because now there's more profit that they have to pay tax on. Yeah. Uh, but then in the future, it may throw the pension into doubt. So that's to me, that's so a really big one. So it's de-incentivizing companies to maybe provide a pension benefit. Well, no, it's still the pension benefit. The companies are still providing the pension benefit, but they're just saying, hey, I don't have to pay as much. I can maybe reduce my pension contribution in half, right? Because there's these calculations that go in. I don't have to pay as much into the pension in order to make sure I'm fully funded. So that means I don't have to pay as much, which is great for my cash flow, but in the future, it could impact the viability of the pension so, itself. I'm sorry, I misread your 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 construct. You're talking more from the employee perspective. Employer and employee. Yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah. So, again, that's another little dynamic here. It's not a little dynamic. It's a dynamic or a nuance that has all kinds of implications, and we don't know what intended or unintended consequences are ultimately going to be. That's right? correct. Yes. And, again, all these policymakers who make these policies, they're getting their pensions as senators and congressional people, just like I was talking last week. And they're always talking about, you know, getting your mandate and your vaccination. You know, Congress does not have to be vaccinated. So they don't live with the very policies they put forth for us. Most of the congressional people, Senate and Congress have Cadillac health plans. That's right. They're not on Obamacare like the rest of us. That's correct. They're exempted. They're, they're exempted. Remember folks on straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria, all these people, Republicans, Democrats, are exempted from Obamacare. They're exempted from being vaccinated. You do the math, okay? Question these people. All right, let's continue. Uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about water infrastructure. Let's move on. Um, highway tax. Uh, you want to? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about this. And then I, I want to really spend the last 15 minutes talking about the, the build better social engineering infrastructure. But let's... Do you want to conclude with anything on the infrastructure plan uh, uh, legislation already passed? Yeah. So part part of the bill, right, allows government to basically take money from the highway trust fund. Sport. I I didn't even know there was one of these sport fishing trust fund, the boat fishing trust fund, the underground storage tax trust fund. It allows government to basically pull money from these and allocate them into other areas. So think of it this way. We've actually experienced a lot of this when the government borrows from Social Security, right? We've heard about government borrowing from Social Security. This is basically allowing them to go ahead and do that. It's also extending additional highway-related taxes. So um, most taxes are going to be done with an expiration date. What this is telling us is that our tax rates are not going to go down at any point in time in the future. And then the other thing is they were going to allow, so $90 billion, what this allows, right, from those three things, um, to transfer from the general fund basically over to the, to, to the highway trust fund. Yeah. Which is just, it just gives them additional money to spend. And again, folks, uh, Eddie Fernandez, uh, my guest, uh, CPA, co-owner of Legacy Financial, Jeffrey Candler here. When we when we hear about the national debt being at you know what is it now twenty trillion twenty three trillion whatever, it has implications to us because it it it, it can cause and, and contribute to inflation, which means everything costs more. It also means ultimately government has to raise revenue to pay down this thing called the debt, and ultimately we the consumer are gonna realize higher expenditures for services and goods. That's why this stuff matters. 
And that's why we should question policies. All right, let's talk about this gargantuan, you know, monolith, I mean, or, or, or colossal, prodigious thing called build back better legislation that Biden and his, you know, ilk uh, position as infrastructure when it's really a lot of social engineering. Let's talk about that. We've got about, oh, uh, 12 minutes or so left, something of that nature. Thank you. So, um, first of all, right, I, and I, I, I've never really been a, a, a big fan of saying, all right, well, here's what's going to happen because everything always changes at the last minute. Yeah. So where we stand with this, I, I want to be very clear, this is not law today, right? And, and if we go back to some of the, the way that things were actually constructed, so the Senate said, we'll pass the infrastructure bill if um, or we're going to we, we the, the Senate originally passed the infrastructure bill, went over to the House. The House said we're not doing anything with the infrastructure bill until we get the Build Back Better legislation. Yeah, they wanted to attach both. They wanted to marry both together. They originally. did. Yeah. They did, and so and that actually took place. But there was a lot of heartache because of how costly the Build Back Better legislation was going to take place. Too. Yes. Well, if we want to call it infrastructure too, sure. It, it, the Build Back Better. So that also started out with a massive, you know, 3.5, um, um, you know, additional trillion dollars. I mean, it was just massive, right? How much spending that was going to take place. And what took place is it gave a lot of heartache to a lot of legislators, both on the Senate side, because there's still negotiation that's going on on the House side with the Senate. What they came back with is they came back with this build back legislation coming up with a specific dollar amount that the House has agreed on, and now it's going to go back to the Senate. But the Senate has already said, hey, we don't like a lot of this fluff that's in here. So if the Senate, if it passes, then it has to go back to the House for reconciliation. Well, there's a lot of people in the House that said, if you remove anything from this... Yeah, the, the, the Cortezes of the world. So the very progressive wing doesn't want to compromise any any of what's Build Back Better infrastructure too, correct? That is correct. Yeah. So, but on the moderate side, right, on the Senate, and there's a couple of senators that said, this is just too much and I'm not willing to like pay... Man, like Manchin from West Virginia. That is correct. And the, the lady from Arizona. Arizona, um, right. Yeah. And so... You know, and when when thing when you get into the pet projects and all these other things, so I, and you and I have had this conversation, Jeff. This is my I'm going to be very clear. This is my personal opinion. I it may not actually come to fruition, but my and I've been saying it all year long that if they don't get this passed now in 2021, it's probably not going to pass because in 2022, guess what 2022 year, year is? Uh, Mid-year election. Mid-election Mid year, yes. So it's it's very, very major. So that being said, here's what has actually passed, and we actually have proposed legislation that's going back to the Senate for reconciliation of what they can actually approve. Yeah. So, And, and one example of this, uh, again, on Straight Talk with Jeffrey Kendler, and it sounds good, okay? Here's one little piece of all this, this extraneousness, this superfluous, enormous, you know, colossal bill called Build Back Better Infrastructure 2. Again, it sounds good. $200 billion, uh, four weeks guaranteed paid leave. Again, that sounds great. You know, everyone's going to get four weeks of paid leave. But if I own a company and if I've got to take some of that responsibility for some of that paid leave, 
I may not hire that extra 10 people, I thought, because now this is viewed as a company owner as an expenditure. Yeah. So again, that's just an example of one piece of one aspect of this whole thing. When Democrats say, oh, we're going to give you free paid leave, somebody has to pay for that. Absolutely. So, and there's a whole bunch of things that we'll talk about in a little bit, but, you know, additional tax increases and how they're going to, how they're going to pay for it. But uh, the devil's always in the details. That's basically the biggest thing that we can end up discussing. So, um, you know, in this, Jeff, there's, there's, there's massive things. I'm going to go over this very quickly, right? $550 billion to fight climate change. So $320 billion in tax credits for solar panels, think solar panels, and electronic or electronic electric vehicles. So now they're going to impose uh, or allow individuals, if you're below a certain income threshold, now you can take a $12,000 tax credit for buying, say, a Tesla because the vehicle has to be built in the U.S. And by the way, folks, when people build electric cars, the copper required for the battery is so intrusive and damaging to the environment. No one talks about that. And no one also has talked about the fact is when that electric battery is concluded, it's life sunsets. We have to dispose of that somewhere. That's another intrusive element into our environment. So when electric car is positioned as a clean, a clean fossil fuel, you know, source of transportation, that's true. But again, on the other side of that coin, the invasiveness, intrusiveness into our environment to construct the battery, and then when it sunsets to dispose of it, is extraordinarily damaging to the environment, and no one talks about that. So, and I think you you hit the nail right on the head, Jeff. This is something I see quite often, right? I've had to replace my refrigerator, right? My I still have a refrigerator in my garage that's over 20 years old, right? And um, when I went to buy my the, the refrigerator that I had to replace in my house, they told me that I need to start replacing my refrigerator every five to seven years because it's so much more energy efficient that it's cheaper to actually buy a new one than it is to replace the condenser because you're going to pay just as much for the condenser. So when we think about things like what you just said, what is the environmental impact of all that waste? So now we've got our landfills filled with this big metal heaping tub of nothing. Right, and it has a half-life of a million years. That's correct. It won't break down for a million years or whatever the, the, the degradation of that particular molecule is. Yeah, so anyway, there, there, there's, there's all of but those things. No but no one talks about these things openly. <laughs> That's why I used to appreciate issues and answers years ago or firing line when you actually had a Republican and a Democrat, and they would talk about these issues. Whether it's Fox or CNBC or whatever, you're only getting one version of how great an electric car is, yeah. or you only get one version of how bad an electric car is. Yeah, you know, it, it can be both at the same time. Yeah, and I think there is right. We we do need to do some things to help. We Absolutely. want clean air. We want clean water. All of those things. Sure. There should be some some uh, some impacts. Now, as part of the legislation, other big things that are taking place. Right, four hundred billion dollars for pre-K. So they're going to start uh, kids at four to seven years, uh, four, four years old, $200 billion in extending the child tax credits. You talked about the $200 billion of paid leave, $165 billion in health care spending, $150 in home health care, and $150 billion in affordable housing. So one of the things that is part of this legislation is now we're going to provide free and universal preschool for three and four-year-olds. 
right? So we want to educate them a lot sooner. That's one of the big things. And there's going to be child care assistance for families where they will pay no more than 7% of their total income for care. How that's going to come in, how do you how do you justify that, right? So now I own a business, I own a daycare business, and I have to charge you, Jeff, less than what I have to charge Sally or vice or, or s- s- switch it, right? You've got a kid. Depending on her income. Depending on the income side. Yeah. And how is that going to work? I, I, I don't know logistics. I mean, this is going to be government, pure government involvement. And now I have to share things with you that I'm not comfortable sharing with you as an owner where... I'm giving you my own private personal information that I don't know if that makes sense. It usually comes down to when a politician puts forth one of those items, like a 7%, if you're whatever that you just said, the 7% threshold, it's a talking point so that they can talk to their constituents and the rest of, you know, most Americans who aren't paying attention that say, I'm going to provide childcare for all you people that don't make a lot of money. That's essentially what they're saying. What they don't talk about is if I own a daycare services, how do I do the math? With the, you know, how do I do the calculus on this kind of thing? And I'm again dividing people based on not just race, like you know what happens. But now I'm dividing people based on income. It's another way of you know, of, of yeah. really of really destroying uh, and really in a sense eroding and degrading this thing called we the people. Yeah. So the, 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 it's, it's, you know, it's possibly smart. Do you have a caveat that you need to uh, enunciate? Yeah. So just that, um, I, once again, I'm a CPA financial planner and I clear through Voya financial advisors and, um, Voya financial advisors is not controlled or owned or it has any input in Fernandez financial services. I'm, very, financial I'm, I'm very gratified. Eddie Fernandez, you're going to be part of the, the straight talk, uh, with Jeffrey Candelaria family, because we need you to continue to come back every other month or so, or, you know, every six weeks and and further dissect these kinds of issues that affect us in the pocketbook and affect our quality of life. We will continue to do that, uh, particularly the Build Back Better piece, as it continues to incarnate and, you know, have different manifestations of what it's ultimately going to look at. Again, uh, look like Jeffrey Candelaria. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for producing the show. Jeffrey Candelaria, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria.